conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I am joined once again by Becky Rice and Shane Connard. We are not talking about Lost today, believe it or not, but instead we're talking about Josie and the Pussycats, which is a movie that I always want to call Josie and the Pussycat Dolls, because that makes sense, but (laughs) Becky and Shane, how are you doing today? (laughs) That one one really got me. Yeah, I was going for something too. Uh... John Locke and the Pussycats. Uh, I don't know. I tried to make a crossover there. It didn't work. I wouldn't be surprised if we find some way to like pull in Lost. Wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah, it'll come to me. We've got some time. I got some time to work this out. Give us some time. So Josie and the Pussycats. This is a movie I had not seen before. It's the greatest movie of all time. But I kind of knew bits and pieces from it. I don't know where I saw bits and pieces of it, but it feels like one of those movies that eventually was just on TV all the time at some point. So that is probably why. But you two have both watched this multiple times, yes? So I have a pretty long history with this. I have always been an ardent supporter of this movie. Well, I don't know that I should say always. I think that when I was, I came, I was like 11 when this movie came out. And so I don't think that I was like a, a heavy defender of this film until maybe I was in like college. But I did like it as soon as I saw it. But the older that I got, the more that I understood it and appreciated it on like a deeper level. Um, And I actually introduced Shane to this film. And so I believe that Shane has seen this movie twice now. Yes, twice. So I saw it once virtually with Becky. And then I saw it a second time about two hours ago. (laughs) Perfect. Nice and fresh. I can't tell you when I watched this because I just watched it whenever Becky was like, let's do a Josie podcast. And I was like, okay, I'll watch it. And then it's months later now and we're finally doing the episode. So hopefully you two will know this better than I do. But I want to start by talking about the cast because there are so many great people in this. You have Rachel Lee Cook, Rosario Dawson, Tara Reed, Gabriel Mann, Paulo Costanzo, Missy Pyle, Alan Cumming, Parker Posey, and so many other people that you've kind of seen in things over the years, but they're not necessarily main characters in this. So it's just fun to get those appearances. Even in the very first scene, when there's the teenage, there's like the teenage fan, I immediately recognized him. Is it Justin Chatwin? Yes, thank you. Yeah, first two things that came to mind is I'm pretty sure that he's in Shameless. I think he's that dude. I think that's the I think that's the the boy of interest in in the first season of Shameless. But then I remember him from War of the Worlds. Yeah, it's funny because like the megastore DJ, I have down in here that he was in a Stephen King adaptation. Actually, not really an adaptation. It was like a made for TV thing that was based off some Dutch tv show or something called kingdom hospital and it's like the most random stephen king fact i could come up with to tie it into this podcast as well perfect crossover gotta stay on brand Mm -hmm. becky what are your thoughts on this cast overall the cast is insane like i don't think that at the time of watching it i realized how big of a deal that was right like tara reed was pretty famous for various reasons, like Rachel A. Cook, very popular in like late 90s, early 2000s movies. This is really like early, like people getting to know like Rosario Dawson. And then other than that, I was like, I mean, like everybody in Du Jour for the most part is fairly well known, fairly, fairly famous. But I was just like, oh, okay, cool. Famous people are in this movie. I don't think that it had occurred to me at that time, like how rare that is to have such a stacked cast. Um, and I remember rewatching it definitely like when I was in my twenties and looking back and being like, wow, like they got really big people in, in this film. Um, and I think everybody is just absolutely excellent in every way. I just want to add to, I love that the, uh, when they're do when they're talking about, uh, they're introducing like the government agents to Fiona's operation. They use like a celebrity to talk about like how, how they use their propaganda and that giant celebrity that they get is Eugene Levy. And I think it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And a fun fact about the casting, Rosario actually beat out Beyonce, Aaliyah, and Lisa Lopez for this role. I did read that. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. That's wild to me. 
Because, um, like, those people actually sing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to play that um, what-if game. Can you imagine the releasing of this film if it had been Aaliyah, for example? Like, instead of Rosario Dawson? Because Aaliyah died in August of the same year that this movie came out, I believe, mm-hmm. right? 2001? I think so. And then this movie came out in, like, April. So... Like, it still would have released just fine, but, like, imagine... Yeah. I don't know. Like, I'm just curious, like, if this movie would have... What the legacy of this film would have been. And Lisa Lopez also died almost exactly a year after this released. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was like, I know that that was, like, in a really similar time That's wild. Yeah. I did not know that. That, like, either of them were in the running. All three of them had auditioned for it and... I guess they just liked Rosario better, which yeah. is still kind of crazy. That's definitely wild to me. I mean, I get it. She's incredible in this in this movie. My brain is just like, whoa. It's funny, too, because I've mostly seen Rosario in more recent stuff, mm-hmm. as opposed to having known about her career prior to like some more recent stuff. So for me, I was like, oh, this is kind of where she got her start. And I had absolutely no idea. I mean, yeah, it is. Because after this, I guess it would have been like Men in Black (laughs) 2. I don't know why that made me laugh, but it did. Like, like big cinematic masterpiece, like Oscar award winning art cinema, Men in Black 2. Um, (laughs) But then she was in Rent. And then the same year that Rent came out, was that Sin City? Um, And then like Clerks and Clerks 2. So this was really the the beginning. Also, as I say those things out loud, what an interesting like career. Yeah. That she's had. Yeah. I'm, I'm like in a lot of ways, like it makes now. sense. And then randomly she'll do like these other things that kind of are a little bit different than that. She's definitely somebody that I think that fans really love and have really like attached themselves to. I don't know. Am I allowed to talk about the Mandalorian? Always. <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't want anybody to listen to this. And be like, oh yeah, spoilers. Um, if you nerds haven't watched The Mandalorian yet, go watch it. God. But yeah, like the the push for Rosario Dawson to play a live action version of Ahsoka Tano was years long. Like that movement started way before like anybody even knew The Mandalorian was going to be a live action show or exist. Like this has just been something that fans have been like, talking about on the internet for years um and and then it finally happened like she's definitely somebody that like ever since she really kind of like got onto the scene as an actress people have just like flocked to and fallen in love with but she's never she's never like the leading lady right right but she is an incredible supporting actress and i would do anything for her (laughs) yeah and everyone in this cast just plays their role so perfectly. It's like everyone is firing on all cylinders. And I think if you even had just one person slip up, this movie wouldn't be as entertaining as it is. I was thinking about like, yeah, all three of them were cast kind of perfectly. Yeah, definitely. The three of them are absolutely perfect. Like, I don't think Tara Reid. Oh, yeah. No, I cannot imagine anybody other than Rachel Lee Cook playing playing Josie in this movie. I don't know if I've seen Rachel Lee Cook in anything else, but I, I looked into it and uh, I was correct. I've never seen anything else that she's in. You've but- never seen the music video for Dress to Kill? <laughs> like the New Found Glory <laughs> song? Oh. I love Okay, I, love I didn't realize that was her. Of all the things that she's done in her career, that that's the one thing that I decided to mention. I mean, I can understand you like not having seen like Babysitter's Club. I think it's a little weird that you haven't seen She's All That, but uh, but also that makes yeah, sense. I haven't seen She's All That, and I also saw that and I was like, it's kind of weird that I haven't seen that. So that's yeah. a valid. That's a valid. I just yeah, seeing 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 this in in I, it was yeah it was, it was probably it was this year right twenty twenty one. When I saw this, or maybe it was the end of last year. I don't remember. It was it last was, year. It was last year. Okay. So, okay. I saw that in 2020 and I still was just like, that's the perfect casting. I have no idea why, <laughs> but it just works. It was perfect. Yeah. It does just work. Yeah. I think the three of them 
work really well together too. Like they play off of each other super well. And, you know, to bring the story into it, I just want to read the premise for this movie from IMDb because it's one of the most ridiculous things ever. It says, a girl group find themselves in the middle of a conspiracy to deliver subliminal messages through popular music. And this isn't like a new concept because there have been things for years where if you play a record backwards, you hear like messages to Satan and stuff like this. Hell so yeah. it, it felt like a huge play on the music industry as a whole and as someone who majored in music industry, I found this extremely entertaining because I was like, yeah, you know, some parts of the industry are this ridiculous, maybe not to this extent, but you can imagine people like this existing within the music industry at one point or another. Yeah. I think having watched this film as like an 11 year old girl, honestly, I think framed a lot of the way that I view the industry um, and just like capitalism as a whole. I think it's really interesting because like all three of us, right, like have worked in in and around music a lot. And so it is, it's very interesting to look at this film through that lens. Um, and I'm not sure how much of those things people who are have not worked in the in the industry realize are, are pretty accurate. Um, <laughs> while it's not coming through like in the actual like, uh, like hidden messages, like in the music, like you can definitely see it in like which artists get get famous or get pushed uh, by a label. Um, and that's not even like a modern thing. Like that's that's always existed, right? Or product placement in music videos or like you'll see one or two people who are famous start wearing a certain item and then all of a sudden that thing is like really like popular. Um, and those things are sometimes organic, but very often are, are planted. And I think that this movie does a really good job of like dissecting that and kind of attacking it, but in a very fun and like tongue in cheek manner. I think this, this film is incredibly intelligent and it's wild to me that it bombed at the box office because it's so good. That is crazy. It has like such a cult following now, but yep. Shane, you too work in and around the music industry. Were you listening to sort of these like boy band girl group artists at the time of like when this was released in the early 2000s or was that a thing that you never got into okay so no <laughs> i was uh as somebody who i feel like if you were if you were to ask me like where am i it's like i grew up on definitely like punk music my brothers gave me a bunch of music and you know how that goes all that to say i i loved my boy bands where they came in huge nsync fan huge justin timberlake fan man's whole career has just been fantastic what was the question i just got really caught up on do i listen to boy bands and it's just like did, yeah. that did was you the listen, question yeah did okay, you listen great. to like boy bands and girl groups in like yeah. the late 90s early 2000s 100 percent. next question <laughs> <laughs> becky is it safe to say that you probably did too yeah i mean like similarly to shade i think it's interesting because like both of I don't know at what point, like, you really, like, broke out and, like, started, like, choosing your own music. But, like, at this point in time, like, Shane and I would have already been listening to, like, punk music or at least, like, starting mm -hmm. to, like, move into that direction. I mean, yeah, I was I was mere months away from go starting to go to hardcore shows um, at the time that this that this film was released. But it was I was getting sent to the guidance counselor for being emo. <laughs> huh? At the age of eight? Nine? This is not eight. I was I was I was like 10, 11 nine i was nine i forgot how old i was this movie was in 2001 shane are you sure 2001. About that? okay i was like i'm older than you Wait, <laughs> no so years. i wasn't okay give me a couple years before i was getting i was, I was like, eight I when this came out i don't know why i thought okay to be fair i don't know why i thought this was like 2003 for a second go, go on okay. ignore me um this is the podcast where we all learn how old we are i think I'm 30. time is a construct it's easy to forget i'm 17 go oh, on. oh no <laughs> gosh i'm canceled i'm gonna go eat, my, eat myself out of the window now um like shane and i would have been like having already like started listening to like punk music or at least like moving in that direction um but the thing with like pop music at this time is like it was so inescapable right because the internet existed yep. but it did not exist in the way that we know it today like you couldn't just listen to like internet radio you could listen to like CDs if you had them or like there were music websites, but 
there was no escaping what was on like top 40 radio, even if you really wanted to, I feel like it was really hard. Yeah. And so watching this as like a critique of the way that the industry like pushes like certain artists or the way that like girl groups are treated um, in comparison to like boy bands or male artists, I think is really interesting. I think it's really interesting to look at this film or think about it through the lens of like the things we know now about like Britney Spears, for example. Becky, to your point that this was inescapable, I specifically remember at some point around this time period getting a CD from McDonald's that was like a split between NSYNC and Britney Spears. So I... So I don't remember that, but I I do remember the um the Backstreet Boys CDs at Burger King. Okay, and I, I believe that those were like roughly around like the same time. Um, and the Backstreet Boys one, there were three of them. There was a a red one, a blue one, and a and a yellow one. What a time! Truly. Um. Also, hit clips. <laughs> yeah. In this time frame, what a dumb invention! Like. <laughs> So not only did you have to buy each clip separately and it took up physical space, but like it was only a one minute clip of a song. Why anybody thought that that was a good idea to be like, oh, here, pay several dollars for this cartridge that will play you 60 seconds of like a smash hit single. What? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. It's definitely a time. It's interesting to look at like, pop music now and i mean definitely there are still artists that are like inescapable right and like you'll always know who they are and i think that will always exist but i just think that not because pop music is less good but i think that just because of the nature of the internet and like information being readily available and therefore different types of music um and different types of content being just easily available to people i think that this was like the last like big heyday of like artists who were just like universally like known and popular and just completely inescapable like I think yeah like I don't even know what what the modern examples of that would be like the closest I would say would be like like obviously still Beyonce but she started well before like it became difficult to escape that like I don't know Cardi B maybe yeah now that's what I call music six had just come out right around the time of this. And I feel like that got lost uh, as soon as we stopped getting good now uh, CDs, now compilations. So. So you think it's the music? I think it's the branding of the music. I think it's the accessibility of the music. Yeah. I love talking about pop music. Sorry. I was like, we, we could go on an entirely different. Yeah. Th- this was just like right in that time frame where the music industry was spending so much money and like you said hit clips totally unnecessary but someone wanted them so they made them and what this shows is just how materialistic everything was too at the time especially in the physical cd age and all of the product placement which they just ran with the product placement in this movie and Everything had to be over the top in order for this to work, which I loved because I feel like with a movie like this, you either have to go all out with it or it's going to end up taking itself way too seriously and just not come across well. Yeah, the balance here of of it talking about like very serious issues, right? Like tackling capitalism and feminism and in a children's film, right? I think it's, is huge. Like this, this film is incredibly subversive. It seems like it's doing something very like dumb and gimmicky, but instead what it's doing is actually incredibly smart. Um, and, and people really missed out on that because people hate women. I think that's why this movie bombed. I don't understand how this movie could bomb when you start the movie with a song as good as backdoor lover. So good. I feel like that should have that should be the cue to people, right? That this movie is self-aware. That was my yeah, like that was that was my again, not having seen this movie until 2020. I immediately saw that scene and thought like uh pop star. Like right? That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Danny Sandberg, I, I was just like, okay, cool. It's it's again self-aware. It's also surprising that this bombed because it was IP that people already knew, you know. 
Yeah, and it it's not like it gets very far away from that IP. Like, I don't know if either of you um, ever watched like the Josie and the Pussycats cartoon or read the comics or read Archie comics, but it follows the basic plot of Josie and the Pussycats, right? Like it tells their story, but also like they solve a mystery throughout the course of it, which is what they did together. Like, and Josie and the Pussycats was really popular when it was like a cartoon. Granted this movie, this movie was not made for people who were familiar with the IP. I think it was like an attempt to like revitalize it and introduce it to a younger audience. Okay. And I think that the things that happened were that the people who went to go see it, I think the parents who took their children to go see this film, their children were a little bit too young to understand why the things were funny. And then I think some of the older people were either not familiar with IP with like, yeah, I don't know. I can't figure it out, but I, I do think that this movie got unintentionally targeted towards an audience that was a little bit too young. This would have been for what, I guess. Like, who, who is the target audience then? Teenage girls, I guess, at the time. Yeah, but I think that this, I think that this film is best targeted at like older teens. So like mid eighties, kids born in the mid eighties. Yeah, like I was probably a little young for this movie when it came out. I did like things about it, um, but I think a lot of that was just like the soundtrack is what really sold it for me in a lot of ways. I definitely did not understand the like the like scathing critiques of capitalism. Like <laughs> at the age of eleven, like I I kind of understood that that was a thing, and like especially like you know being into like punk music, I did already kind of have this idea of like yeah, like anti commercialism within music. Which is interesting because I also was buying a product at that time. Like I, I later went on to realize that like the punk music that I was consuming and that I was getting into was also like a very fabricated product um, that was being sold to me. Um, and in hindsight, I can see that. But at that time, like I had no idea, right? Like I was just, you know, very. I, I liked the Pussycats because they were different than everybody else, and they like stood their ground and like for their morals. And I was like, yeah, and and pop music is dumb and they give you all this stupid products to buy and that's bad be yourself i'm unique and i mean that's truly like an important message of this film but like i think the parts of it that like rip apart like the music industry and capitalism as we know it i those those things definitely went way over my head until i was older yeah shane you mentioned the music earlier and before we dive into the soundtrack i want to talk about your thoughts on a band playing a bowling alley you know, okay, so first of all, that that's totally normal. That didn't phase me at all. Being charged for the shoes for the bowling alley, good touch. But the thing that I I feel like I want to point out is actually when they're af- when they're loading up after the bowling alley and they're talking about even though they only made five dollars, it was probably the best show that they've ever played. <laughs> I love it in a way that also kind of stung. <laughs> I just thought it was very not necessarily of the time, but bowling alleys were popular still at that time too i think they're a little less so now you still see them but you don't see as many of them and i know there are some places like on the east coast where they play at bowling alleys specifically and that seems to be more of a thing there so i thought that was a nice little addition to the movie of hey here's this local band but they're playing a bowling alley not even like an actual venue yeah yeah it's not even a bar it's great yeah and they're stoked about making 20 bucks but really it only ends up being five dollars it's great Uh, and then uh after they they realize that they uh that no i don't know like no one seems to be wanting to to listen to their demo anyway they're just like you know we just have to do it ourselves and it's like total punk diy ethics there ethos there and it's uh yeah punk rock icons josie and the pussycats i know (laughs) Another thing I think is really funny is that uh, I was reading into uh, Rachel Lee Cook, her Wikipedia page, and it starts with, I guess she apparently started off as a, as like a child target model. And the first scene is, is uh, too short on that target plane, the target branded plane. I thought it was really funny. 
Yeah, that's great. And I know, Becky, you want to talk about the soundtrack a little more, but I want to dive into a little more of the story. I mean, this isn't like a super plot driven thing. It's just like, yeah, like the plot is super simple. They just go all out with it. Yeah, it's a pretty simple thing, especially for anyone who's like familiar with the music industry. It's like, we know bands and artists really want to get signed. And this is kind of one of the wildest ways to get there (laughs) the scene where Wyatt is like oh no I have to find another band and like he's driving and the pussycats have just been like outside of this like shop and they get kicked out and so they're like crossing the street and like he almost hits them and like the music cues and they stop and like the like wind is like blowing their hair and they're just looking like so like photo perfect and he holds up like the blank cd case in front of it and it's like perfectly framed like oh this would be the cover of of the album is just like that scene is so incredible like it's it's so funny that's absolutely not how it happens but also at the time there were moments where it did happen like that right like there are definitely lots of artists who um have been signed because of the way that they like looked and their ability to like present well as a band with or like without knowing necessarily if they were going to be able to like be performant as a band, but just like the the entire way that it's filmed um, is is hilarious and it's that's that scene is so good. It's definitely like in my like top top handful of scenes for sure. Yeah, that, that's actually almost exactly how I got famous. So Shane's the most famous person on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Are you? No. <laughs> But the whole look of this movie is just perfect for the story that they're trying to tell, because we haven't even really touched on the subliminal messaging thing, because that comes into play so late into the movie. You're just like, oh, of course. okay, (laughs) you know, we're just going to throw one more ridiculous thing in here. Maybe it's like halfway through the movie. I'm not really sure on the timeline. It's it's pretty early because so because that's what happens with Du Jour. Right. Is that they start hearing it. Okay. Right, right, right. And then they're like, hey, we were listening to like, I don't know. Remixes of our songs. Uh, We were trying to do remixes of our songs and we heard this really weird thing in the background. Can you explain it? And then Wyatt goes up to the pilot and he goes, uh, oh, he makes some some music reference. It's it's good. And then he puts on the parachute. He jumps out the plane and the pilot jumps out the plane. Then the plane disappears. Yeah. So they set it up there, and then it's later in the movie when you get to the actual studio scene, right? But then, like, you it's get, still, like, dropped in other places, like... Yeah. Um, they, they keep changing the trends. So, like, they, a new yep. song comes out, and they're, like... And they cha- the fans change the colors of their clothes. They're like, I can't believe we used to wear red. Now we're wearing pink. And then they hear a new song, and they're like, why are we wearing pink? Orange is the new pink. And then they wear orange instead. Shane, what's your favorite example of this? You set me up perfectly. The only note that I wrote down... <laughs> is that I, apparently when I went to go uh, watch this again today, I was going to take notes, but the only note that I wrote was that the quote of Gatorade is the new Snapple. So we'll go with that as my favorite. Gatorade is the new Snapple. Like, it's so funny because, like, it obviously it never happens quite like that. But it does, right? Like, if you look at what people, especially young people, are interested in, like, it changes wildly, right? Like, from one year to the next as these, like, new trends are pushed on them. I mean, I'm out here proselytizing for, like, straight leg and wide leg jeans. And I was a diehard skinny jean wearer. And now look at me. I'm being manipulated by TikTok. I change the brand of water that I drink, like, every week. I'm just like, no, like, I'm going to, just the brand of water bottles I'll buy. I'm I'm super, I'm just super subjective. Subjective. Shane is super, like, super susceptible to marketing <laughs> tactics. Yeah. yeah, the algorithms. I'm going to go buy 100 Fiji waters right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's funny because I, I was, I, when I'm first watching, like, the, the subliminal messaging in the movie, I'm like, oh. And then they actually do, like, they're at the aquarium and they have uh, what brand of water it is. But even in the, there's like a, a they're in like a, there's like whales behind uh, Josie oh, and yeah. Alan. But even in the aquarium, it's the brand of water. There's a sign for the branding of water. And I was like, ah, called me out again. <laughs> 
the yeah it's definitely like a you're always being sold something type of thing that this definitely calls attention to um speaking of that aquarium scene i i love that scene between alan m and josie right and she's like well what if i can't do this i'm like what if this and what if that? And he's like, you just have to believe in yourself. And she says, well, what if I can't? And he looks at her and he says, I'll just have to believe in you for the both of us. Ah, oh, what a great scene. Great scene. Oh yeah. Alan M's a softy. I really yep. like. Big. Shane has, for, for all of the, I almost said viewers, <laughs> for the new viewers, for all of the listeners who don't quite know Shane, Shane has big Alan M energy. <laughs> And I mean that in the best this way possible. A, like, like. I'm not even going to argue that one. <laughs> like, you're very handsome. You're very tall and lanky. You're very sweet. You sometimes say things that make you sound dumb. And it's not that you're dumb. It's that your brain is thinking about a bajillion other things. Um, and so sometimes you just seem like you're just like living in a different universe, man. I was just going to say we're both kind of awkward, but that's. <laughs> and you're both kind of awkward. <laughs> Alan M reminds me of a golden retriever and Shane also kind of reminds me of a golden retriever. Makes sense. Yes. Yeah, I can. I'm not arguing any of these things. I just don't have mm. to say about them. Oh, what's her name? The, the, or the guy that's supposed to be their agent, like his sister. Alexandra. Yeah. yeah, when she's on the plane and then like and he cuts to her and he's just like, Why are you here? And she's like, Well, because I was in the comic. Yeah, I have that written down in my notes. And he says, What? And then there's no explanation for it. That's so yeah. funny. Like this movie is so yeah. self-aware and it's very just like out there, like, oh, she's just here because she has to like she has uh-huh. to come because she's a part of the comic book. And I literally wrote down that exact quote because it just got me while I was watching this. I was like, yes, this is the comic book stuff that I love to see in what is technically a comic book movie. You know, it's not a superhero movie, but it is technically based on comics. In the Archie Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And this was just so much fun. And, you know, we haven't even really talked about the shift we see with Josie because she's the one who like starts to change the most because of the whole ego trip subliminal messaging stuff. Yeah. And to see her character go through all of that. And then you have, you know, like Valerie trying to figure everything out. And then Mel's just kind of like doing her thing. <laughs> Nothing phases her. She's an, inc- she's a great character, right? Like she seems like she's doing this like dumb blonde like thing and she is but it's never portrayed as like negative no right like it's always just like a sometimes people are just like this and that's their personality and i really appreciate that like that this this movie could have done the like you're a dumb blonde let's dig at you and i mean in, in some ways like that that is the joke but it's it's always like a light-hearted like poking fun at it not like a you're the butt of the joke this the, this film is very positive. The Carson Daly scene really really shows that when when her and Carson Daly are going back and forth with all of their uh, everything that they have in common, and they're like, "What's your sign? Oh, I'm Scorpio. What's yours? Cancer." And then he swings the bat at her, <laughs> and they're just going what? back and forth. And but it eventually ends with her just tricking Carson Daly, and then picking up. I think it's a cardboard cutout of Matt Damon and smacking yes. Carson Daly with it. Um, it's great. So- this really? came out in 2001. So was was this while they were dating? That's actually what I'm looking up right now. <laughs> I think that it was. Um, but like in, that is uh, far funnier. And it's I'm pretty sure that this is while they were dating. Unless I'm just like way off on my timeline. They met in 2000. Yeah. So this is while yeah. they were dating. Yeah. And I think the funniest part too is like, because they're like, in a different universe, we would probably date. <laughs> if I didn't have to kill you, we would probably date. Oh, it's so funny. But yeah, no, Josie definitely like has the harshest like shift in personality, like in and then diving super negative. And I think that there's a couple of different things that lead to that, right? Like her character, I think, is the most self-conscious of the three of them. 
Right. And so I think that that makes her a little bit more prone to that. Um, and then I think the second thing is just like, she's the one that they've chosen to be the center. Right. So they attempt dividing the other two girls and then they target her like with these hidden messages the same way that they did everybody else. I just want to confirm if what I read was correct. Okay. I just read on, on IMDb that Terry didn't know how to play drums beforehand. So they hired Drew Thomas, who was in bands such as Bold and Youth of Today. I think that's a really funny. Is that who taught her how to play drums? That's a, that, that is what IMDb is telling me, and that's what I'm trying to uh, confirm right now. But I guess the, I don't know how the fuck else I would confirm or deny that. Tara <laughs> Reed started the band's drummer, Melody Valentine, not knowing how to play drums before they filmed. She needed to learn the basics so she could appear to know what she was doing behind the kit. The producers hired Drew Thomas, who was in bands such as Bold, Into Another, and Youth of Today. Hell yeah, that rules. <laughs> it's definitely a little harder to pretend like you know how to play drums versus just kind of pretending to know how to play bass or guitar because that you can at least kind of just move your fingers and most people won't know what's going on. But with drums, it, it will like look bad if you don't at least try. Yeah. I love it, that they didn't it, just it hire like some like no name drum teacher. Like, like they easily could have, right? Like, but instead they're like, you, drummer from these hardcore bands, you teach Sarah Reed how to play drums and Josie and the Pussycats. That rules. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, so on the topic of music, Becky, take it away with the soundtrack. Hell yeah. Okay, the soundtrack to this rips. It's so good. And, of course, it's good because there's a lot of, like, real musicians involved in the actual construction of these songs. Like, so first off, Rachel Lee Cook does not sing... Josie's parts, that is uh, Kay Hanley. So if you're familiar with Letters to Cleo, that's the voice that you're hearing. That's why that sounds that way. Shane just made this like mind blown face. Shane, did I, is that new? Yeah, is that news for that. you? Yeah. That was yeah. Crazy. Like go back and like, listen to like the soundtrack and, and it, it makes sense. Like I, I love Letters to Cleo. All three of them did provide backing vocals on all of the tracks, but like the main voice of like Josie, that's that's Kay Hanley. Adam Duritz from Counting Crows. And Adam Schlesinger too. Yeah. Yeah, like that entire song, like pretend to be nice. Yeah, that make, that, that makes a lot of sense. So. Pour one out for for our dude from Fountains of Wayne. But yeah, like so like literally like these these songs were performed and written by like Letters to Cleo, Fountains of Wayne, and like the Counting Crows, Babyface. Who else is involved in these? Like it's it's wild when you like really think about it. Like the only one that I think that isn't um, written by like big names like that is the Josie and the Pussycats song, which is like the end credits are set to that, and that's just because that's the song from the original cartoon. Yeah, it's the Hanna Barbera song. Yeah, which rules just in and of its own. But yeah, like I, I, I could even go like, I could do a track by track of this <laughs> in all honesty. Like if you really, if you really wanted to, um, three small words is the opening track on the soundtrack, which I believe is also the opening of the film. Right. And it's I think it just, it, sings. I don't think yeah. it's the opening. I think uh, the opening of the film is still Jujor song. Oh, sorry. I meant not, not, sorry, not the opening of the film, but like the, the opening credits scene. Oh yeah. yeah. Is yeah. Like they is, is three small words. Because it's also the opening of the soundtrack. Cause I guess they don't have the do short. I'm looking at it now. They don't have the do short songs on it. So go on. Yeah. No, the, the soundtrack is not in order of appearance within into the film. Uh, but yeah, that one rules spin around rules, pretend to be nice rules. I wish you That's well. I wish you well rules were the other songs that I like on that. Uh, I mean, I like all of them. I think, Oh, shapeshifter. That song rules. That song rules. Um, and then that song, the like primary writer on that song is Kay Hanley. And, and I think that that even sounds that way, right? Like it sounds kind of like a little bit like a letter to Cleo song. You're a star um, and spin around are very heavily written by um, Adam Duritz. And I think they very much sound kind of like other songs that he's written, like either for other movies or like they on their own have big, like uh, Counting Crows energy <laughs> within those songs. And I think that that's cool, right? Because all of these songs sound like songs that this band would have written 
and performed. Um, but also if you separate them from the film, they definitely, you can see like a heavy hand from the people who, who wrote them. And I like that they used real musicians to write real songs for this, rather than it just being like an afterthought, like, Oh, we made this movie about a band. Oh no, the band needs to make music. And the songs definitely, I think stand on their own pretty, pretty well. Um, and then of course, like du jour around the world and backdoor lover, I think are incredible tracks and are just so, so incredibly funny. I can't believe that there are people out there who don't like this movie. Yeah. That's kind of wild. People really hate women. Do people not like this movie? That's- yeah, it was a fl- it was a huge flop. I think Roger Ebert said that this movie is not dumber than the Spice Girls, but it's just as dumb as the Spice Girls, and that's bad enough. Which also is a bad take because the Spice Girls rule. So an old white man didn't like it. Yeah, a lot of old white men did not like it. Its production budget was like $30 million and it only made like $14 million. So it like didn't even, it didn't even make back what it cost to make it. It might have by now, but that's still very iffy. <laughs> yeah, like Josie and the Pussycats is like the band's band of movies, right? Like where it took a long time for it to to make it back yeah like at the time where it would have been important for the for people to pick up and understand this movie it didn't happen but it happened later for them it's kind of like getting famous posthumously is like what happened here it just needs to have its 20 year anniversary tour right now 20 year anniversary tour this year that's why we're here so question for both of you then because of how massive Riverdale has become on the CW and they've done spinoffs like I think it was Katie Keene or something like that but they were like talking about doing a Josie spinoff at one point I don't know if it's still in the works but do you feel like a movie like this would resonate more now with a younger demographic just because of how popular a bunch of the IP is on the CW? I think that that plus I think People who are younger and younger are more aware of, sorry, Comrade Becky just really came to like shit talk fucking capitalism, apparently, but like, cause like, I can't stop. Like, but I think younger and younger people are becoming more and more aware of like the ways that like capitalism as a societal structure has like failed us and how it like manipulates people. And so I think that because people are more aware of that at a younger and younger age, I do think that this would resonate with like larger audiences. I also think people are much more aware of, I think that if, if this movie came out today, I don't think that it would flop the way that it did in 2001. I think this movie was too far ahead of its time. I think it might have been too close to this kind of stuff actually happening, like pop stars being this massive. So maybe we needed like that time away from artists kind of being treated this way in order for it to really resonate with people. Yeah, I definitely think that this movie came out while it was happening. And sometimes it's hard to see something in the moment. Like it takes like being removed from it a little bit to look back and be like, oh, yeah, like that was wild. And so I don't know how much some of the things that are like very specific, you know, to like boy band culture or girl group culture or like just early 2000s nostalgia, like pieces. Um, I don't know how much of that would work, but like, I think if it were updated to be like more modern, like music styles type of thing, then like, I absolutely think that a show on like CW that was like a Josie centric show, I think could absolutely work. I have no idea I'm trying like who would even play the characters from Riverdale who played them. Oh, are these all characters that have been introduced into the show? Yes. Okay. I don't watch this sh- show. Sorry. We Shane and I both nodded and did not say yes. I've never seen the show either. I just I don't know why I nodded so intensely. I kn- I know that there's been some I type of knew. reference to Josie and the Pussycats in the show, but I didn't know how strong it was. They were an actual band in the show already. Okay. Okay. I only know that someone I was talking I talk about this movie a lot, but I had said something about Josie and the Pussycats and I said something about it being a comic book. And then somebody's like, Oh, like in the Archie or I didn't realize they had their own 
comics in the Archie comics is, is what they said. And I was like, Oh, so you know that it's Archie. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, but you've never seen the movie and you've never read Archie comics. And they're like, no. And I was like, then how do you know that? And they're like, Oh, because of Riverdale. And I was like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. I feel like I've missed the boat on that. Like, I feel like it's too late for me to get into that show. There's a lot that's happened. It would be a lot to take in. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll, I'll get into the next thing. What's the next thing? Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's been good. Is the next thing that I'm supposed to be watching. Yeah, don't worry. Disney has you covered with about 800 upcoming shows. Yeah, there's too much content. I I can't. Oh, I love it. I it's just the right amount of content for me. Yeah, I do think something like this would do a lot better now, especially with streaming services. I could easily see mm -hmm. like if there were to be a new version of Josie and the Pussycats, it could go straight to streaming. And I could see that being like a hit movie for Netflix or something. You know, I don't know where it would go necessarily, but I think it would go straight to the top. <laughs> Yes. If it's as heavy handed as, as as the 2001 movie is to modernize to the Riverdale theme, I think it would do. I think it would do well. Well, Shane, do you have any final thoughts about Josie? Oh, it's great. It's a great piece of cinema. Becky, how about you? Cinematic masterpiece. Yes. So I've been trying something new here where we recommend something for the listeners to check out if they enjoyed Josie and the Pussycats. And by the way, if you haven't watched this movie, please go watch it because there's so much that happens in it that we didn't even touch on in this that makes it so entertaining. But Becky, I know you have a recommendation for everyone. Yeah, I have like a couple. Um, I think there's a lot of different things about this movie to, to like and to enjoy. I think that if you like the music in this movie and you like the way that music is worked into the film, because it's not just in the background and they're not just playing it. It's like a part of the plot very frequently. Uh, if you haven't seen Sing Street, definitely watch Sing Street. That's another one of my favorite films. I would also not hate, I would not be mad to come back and talk about that movie. If you really enjoy the like anti-capitalism and the like really critiquing the way that women are treated um, in society, especially in like business as a whole um, or like any type of like industry, right? Like uh, showgirls. I think is a very clear next step from this film. I think I would love to see somewhere do a double feature where it, like the first film is Josie and the Pussycats and then there's like an intermission and then the second film of the evening is Showgirls. Um, I think that would rule. Um, and then if you like the like friendship, girl power, like three girls in a band writing songs about being in a band, um, then you should listen to The Chicks. That's my recommendation there, specifically the the track uh, Long Way Around uh, from that record. Those are my recommendations there. Okay. So I feel like one thing that I, I really do appreciate this about this movie is, even if they're not trying extremely hard to, there, there are a lot of like basic punk themes that I think come up throughout it that, that really get me excited because it's just thrown into what was like kind of a, supposed to be like a, a young teen movie. I think about how... You were saying, Becky was saying how it, it, it pissed off a white man, an old white guy. So I don't know. I, I'm thinking about like uh, just if this movie did piss off the right people and if the commentary really did upset people, then my recommendation and, and, and if you appreciate that and if that's the part about this that does it for you, you should listen to the new Lil Nas X song. Because I like the, how many people it, how many people it's upset on the internet so far, and I think hell yeah, punk and super. And it's good, cool. and it's just good. You know, I, I love the the free speech t talk around this right now, and how people want to complain. People either want to defend their own free speech or they want to shut down someone else's. And I love that anybody that's been trying to shut him down so far, he is just completely obliterated. And uh, that's my recommendation. Love it. My brain didn't even like do that. But yeah, I think that that's like a really interesting thing, right? Where like this movie is very much like a, oh, if you're going to treat women this way when they're involved in the music industry, right? Because there's a lot of that. Um, or if you're just going to create like musician, <laughs> treat musicians this way, right? Like, or treat like fans this way, right? Or as, as like uh, people to be sold a product to all of the time, then we're going to make a movie about it. And like people really did not like that. And it's like, well, you're just upset because we're doing the thing that 
you said that we had to do, uh, which is exactly what Lil Nas X does. And like that, call me by your name video, right? Like it's this very much like, okay, well, like you can't keep telling queer people that they're going to hell. And then when we like make this video in hell, like, right. And then you're like, Oh, how dare you? And it's like, well, this is where you said I belong. <laughs> like, I it's think that that's like, like a, a really interesting. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. I think that that's a really interesting comparison. I really like Lil Nas X. I think watching like that career is incredible. Yeah. And definitely interesting to talk about. We should come on and talk about that album. And <laughs> like when it, when, when we get a chance, I would love to be able to do that one day, but yeah, Deanna, link the video in the show notes, baby. Yeah, I will. And I'm going to go in a completely different direction with my recommendation and recommend a Goofy movie. Oh, hell yeah. If you just want some like ridiculous fun and some fun songs, you know, that's that's perfect. I think that that's a good recommendation, too. Yeah, I was... Shutter! Sorry. <laughs> so good. I oh. I love that movie so much. I really do. It's very good. Um, no, yeah, I, I came like super prepared with my recommendations because I was listening to the Men in Black episode with friend of mine and Shane's and Deanna's and friend of the podcast, uh, Janice. I don't listen to all of the episodes. I wish that I did, but That's I listen okay. to too many podcasts. I need to start like clipping them out, right? Like making priorities because I'm subscribed to too many. But if there's like if you're talking about an IP I really enjoy, or if it's a guest that I either know personally, or I just think is like funny, or I've heard them on the podcast before, I, I always try to listen to those. And so I was listening to that episode uh, yesterday um, when I was driving out to the beach and I was like, oh man, yeah, I forgot. Deanna said she was going to do this recommendations thing. I forget. So I got to so. be prepared for Josie. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I didn't tell this person because I keep forgetting who I've told and who I've done it with and who I haven't yet because I've done so many episodes lately i think one week i've recorded like six podcasts and lost all track of time and space and everything but thank you both for coming on to talk about josie i'm glad i finally watched this because it was way more fun than i expected because i didn't really know what to expect going into it but i'm glad i watched it i told you too fun so thank you both i don't think i've introduced the movie to anybody who didn't like it i feel like a lot of people that the three of us know would really, really enjoy this movie if they haven't seen it. So anyone listening, I probably know most of you who are listening, go watch this if you haven't yet. Thanks. Hell yeah. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.